Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Right? I mean, don't I normally play Christmas music? I think I do that, right? Yeah, I mean, come on. My favorite. <laughs> Tis the season, you know. None other than the, the boss himself, who just sold his recording collection for like a half a billion dollars. Somebody just sent me a message and said, so Mac, what are you guys talking about today? Well, there was an article written at the end of the week about, let me read you the headline, Marines unveiled new staff non-commissioned officer promotion warrant. And as somebody who retired, you look at that and you say, hmm. Why do we need a new promotion warrant for staff and COs? Has the landscape changed that much? And um, I don't know that the landscape has changed that much, um, but maybe it has. Yeah, maybe it has. And uh, I will tell you that I got sensitized to the changes in the Marine Corps and being a leader in the Marine Corps uh, when my youngest son was a platoon commander. And uh, he would come home and we would talk 
and I would I would ask him like <laughs> things that I say, and that is, are you sure you're in the Marine Corps? Like, are you going to the wrong place in the morning? Come on. And he would just look at me, right, like dad, and and we would talk leadership, and so. I think there's a lot of things that um, I think there's a lot of things that have contributed to that. And but I would tell you, um, I've been going around and speaking in the Marine Corps, and I have leadership conversations with people all the time, and a lot of staff NCOs. And so, one of the discussions, and I heard this term, the barracks war. And what that described was something that became a thing in the Marine Corps. And um, when we, I think, with the best intentions, or when the Marine Corps with the best intentions said, yeah, 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 we don't own the barracks anymore. That's their dormitory. That's where they live. And, um, like, we wouldn't go out in town and inspect somebody's house, would we? And the answer to that for me was, yeah, we would. We used to do it. It was called health and welfare inspections. When we thought something was amiss, we would say, hey, we're going to drop by your house today. We want to meet your wife. Just want to see how everything is. We would go out and we would visit Marines in town. No, maybe that's illegal now. I don't know. But we used to do that. So anyway, but that was in a day and an age when the staff and seals of the Marine Corps dominated the gray zone, okay? Kind of like Vladimir Putin, gray zone operations. Yeah. Well, our staff and COs, I mean, they ran that stuff. And so at the company level and below, it was that strong hand that steered the whole event. So anyway, what happens if a set of circumstances occur in which that hand pulls out of the gray zone. What do you have? Yeah, exactly. Nothing good. So anyway, um, I think you have the Marines United event comes in what, 2017, 2016? There's a thing called the Prohibited Activity Order, the PAC order. And that says you can be thrown out of the Marine Corps for these things. So if you're a leader, so it's essentially a bill of rights, the pack order prohibited. You cannot do these. So if they don't like your tone of voice, if they don't like the way you spoke to them, if they don't like something, they have a right. Well, so that happens. And the reaction to people who lead in the gray zone is, yeah, I don't know if I can withstand an allegation let alone if I'm charged and disciplined. I'll lose everything that I've worked for. So let's just say I've got 10, 12 years invested in this career, and I'm, I want to get to 20 and get my retirement. Is it worth it for me to put my career on the line for some little shithead who certainly needs my attention? But, right, if I... If I lay down the law, if I do the things that I've been trained to do, then he's probably going to make an allegation or she's going to make an allegation against me. And so I would tell you 
the collective body of staff and COs reined in what they do in the gray area. Now you combine that with this, the cell phone. So the cell phone allows young people to isolate themselves. But what we concluded was we didn't need to have formations. We could pass information because that's what the formation did. We could pass information via uh, a group text message. Okay. And so we won't get them together. That's just a pain in the ass anyway. And they can kind of get together at a, a lower level. Well, in conversations I've had with Sergeant Majors, who described the staff and CO community, gunnies, staff sergeant, we are the mothers of the Marine Corps. We get them dressed. We get them to school. We feed them. We solve their problems. Right? We take care of them. We are the mothers of the Marine Corps. Well, what happens when a mother doesn't see her kids very much? Anything good? Answer to that is no. Nothing good happens. And so <clears throat> there is this void in this gray area where the charismatic shithead in the barracks has rights and isn't afraid to exercise them. Imagine that, if you will, in a top-down hierarchy. Doesn't work so well. And so I see it most manifests itself in the world of mental health. And we have our mental health and behavioral health people in the DOD and certainly in the Marine Corps. They're trying as hard as they can. But if you understand who joins the Marine Corps, right, and once we go to the all-volunteer force, we get a much larger percentage of people that have gone through adverse childhood experiences and who are looking for a way to get out of town. Okay, so you can go look that up if you care to, but adverse childhood experiences and the all-volunteer force. Go ahead and search on that. So if you understand that that, that population increases in the all-volunteer force, okay, if you understand how they're educated by the, our current education system, right, and I just have a daughter who graduated from high school, and I would tell you that the world calling was prepared for looks like this. A, that world really, really, really cares about your feelings and the way you feel. That world doesn't really care what you produce. It only cares about whether you think that you tried very hard. When something goes wrong, it's not your fault. It will be the institution's fault. The schools, the teachers, the coaches, it's always their fault. You don't really have to worry about what you say so much, uh, what you look like, right? As long as you're being you, that's okay. The problem of that, so you take... That group who experiences adverse childhood experiences and you put them through that preparation for life, right? How do you think that fares? How do you think that plays in Peoria? Well, the answer is, is that it doesn't play in Peoria very well. In fact, it plays shitty in Peoria. So now that person decides, I want to join the American military. This is a way out of the situation that I'm in, whether it's bad family, bad economic times, you know, a, a, a whole series of traumatic events, whether it be emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, right? Those numbers would surprise you. I would dare say they would make your jaw, jaw drop if you, if you investigated that, how much of that is in the American military. Anyway, 
So this at-risk population comes to us disproportionately. They're prepared by our education system, which doesn't prepare them well. And then they come into the military. Now, into that military, in a world that used to be dominated by strong uh, staff NCOs who dominated the gray area, now they've, they've pulled out of the gray area. They occupy very little of it. And so what world do they go into? The world of the barracks and the charismatic Lance Corporal and all the crazy shit that goes on. And you can see that I was doing okay, well, but now my world's adrift again. And that has an impact on mental health, especially for that population. And so, um, so we talk about that. We talk about that, that the, the, I would tell you from my travels, from my discussions, um, that people know it's a problem. Okay, people know it's a problem, but like, what do they do about it? Now, the the pack order has been rewritten, but if you talk to, you know, people that were uh, th- that have looked at it, they say, yeah, it, it's still not where it needs to be, right? And that is so. What does it need to be? It needs so that up is up and down is down. It needs to be so that you know what we do in garrison and the way li- we live contributes to. us going to war. That's what the organization exists. The organization doesn't exist so that you can have all the same rights there into pertaining to civilians. If you want those rights, then go be a civilian. When you come in the military, you give some of that up. And believe it or not, the purpose of the military is to fight and win wars. Yeah, how about that for an epiphany? So there has to be some, you know, of these things in the military. And so... We talk about that today. So, um, yeah, the the rewriting of the staff and CO warrant, I think, is a uh, is an attempt by the Marine Corps to uh, emphasize that which our staff and COs must be. Now, you know, you're going to hear Will, you know, take. Is this what we're doing? Is this what we think works? So it's an interesting conversation, I will tell you that. And Jeff Kenny was, uh, before he was commissioned, staff sergeant. Staff sergeant, in the, you know, grew up as an NCO in the 70s. And then in the early 80s, uh, Jeff is commissioned. So uh, he'll give you his impression of what he saw as a young Marine. And it wasn't a very positive one. Um, but I think that has changed, and, and he acknowledges that. So, uh, yeah, interesting discussion. And we're going to try to get to uh, one thing about Vietnam that you've learned over the course of your reading that you find very interesting. And so, but we don't even hardly get to that. We touch on that at the end, right before the thing's over. So, with that being said, uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Happy holidays to everybody else The uh, on this Monday. So what? Uh, four days in a wake up to Christmas. Uh, I hope you have your hope you have all your stuff bought. Um, the United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. If I can set the audio stuff right, I, I honestly I think the leadership thing is um, it's a big deal, and you can see the Navy can't figure it out. Um, the Navy can't figure out what it's what it what it wants to be. 
right? How much discipline is right for the military? And they are struggling mightily, and the rest of the services are following down that path. And what's it going to take to to reform that? What's it going to take to change that? We just saw a, the Bonhomme Richard burned in an arson event, if you can imagine that. So somebody set the fire, and then um, you had nobody on the ship even put anything on the fire for two hours. The first people that respond to, to a fire on the ship are San Diego firefighters, and they dump water on it two hours after it's reported. That's the first action taken. A little bit of a crisis, um, you know, whether it's uh, on the whether it was on 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 the Bonhomme Richard, but we've looked at the Bonhomme Richard, uh, we've looked at the USS Somerset, we've looked at both Navy and Marine Corps failures in the 15th Mew uh, event, we've looked at the ship collisions, right ad nauseum, and um, the way we left Afghanistan, and if. I don't know how many of these kind of events have to happen before you say, you know what, we're beyond the crisis point. So pretty interesting discussion about that. And I think the landscape for leadership has changed. You go into, uh, you go into command now and, um, you know, you do a command climate survey right out of the chute because you got to make sure that, you know, you got to understand what they're saying. And then, you know, so that begs the question, wait a minute. Are the inmates running the asylum? Is there too much of that now in command? Hmm. And everybody will say, oh, no, 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 no. It's just important to know what they think. Well, I'm, I will tell you this. I've, I've got two sons that are Marine officers. I talk to people all, about, all the time about this, and there's a problem. But nobody wants to address it in public. And so we do it on the down low. And if somebody doesn't get it right, then the organization will continue to drift down this path, and that is a path that follows the American Navy. That's not a good path. So on that cheery note, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes it official.
And uh, this is dedicated to all the people that are working on this issue. The barracks war, as I first heard it referred to a couple years ago by a sergeant major. Quote, we're losing the barracks war. And I looked and I was like, what does that mean? Because I'd never heard the term. And he explained it to me. So this is to everybody that is working on that. Okay. The way you exist in garrison should be in this form that you'll go to war as. And you'll go to war and the inmates won't run the asylum. It won't work like that. So the way you exist in garrison is your preparation for combat. And if your preparation, for instance, I've, you know, I have people tell me, oh, we could never go back to having formations. You're going to do that in combat. Maybe you should find a way. So when you deploy to go to war, you'll get them together, trust me, because there's no other way to pass information. So maybe you should see them. You should pass information face-to-face because that's how you'll do it more. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but that's so different, blah, blah, blah. So how do you prepare for that? You live a completely by a completely different set of rules when you're here? And I would tell you, uh, Paul Kennedy, who got out as major general, he told me, he said, you know, Mac, we got prepared to go to war in one of the great food processors. I said, what's that? He said, all the chicken shit, the inspections, inspecting field days, inspecting uniforms, inspecting rifles, that exacting, um, those exacting standards where the, we required it and then we inspected it and they did it. And we heard that, you know, expect what you inspect stuff. That's the truth. And so those high standards coupled with that hard work are inspecting and enforcing those standards, that paves the way. That sets the tone in garrison before you even go to the field of this is how we do it. He said that was the greatest preparation we could have ever had. Interesting. Interesting. So um, this is dedicated to everybody that's working and concerned on that problem. And I think those voices need to be raised because I can just tell you this from a mental health perspective. The mental health professionals of the American military are trying as hard as they can. But I would tell you there's a piece missing in that. And what I've seen with the units I deal with, that missing piece, for most of these young people, they don't have a serious mental illness. They're not bipolar. They're not schizophrenic. They're not manically or severely depressed. They have had their asses kicked by life. They've gone through education that has not prepared them. And they come into a world in the military where the gray area is dominated by the charismatic shithead who lives in the barracks. What they need, right, is the heavy hand of a staff NCO on their shoulder looking at them and say, hey, man, come here, sit down. Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you how I grew up. So I'm telling you this for one reason. You can do this. I'm going to show you. You're going to be all right. You know what that feels like when somebody cares about you like that? When you come from a world that hasn't cared about you so much? It's night and day, and that's the piece that's missing. So this is dedicated to everybody that's involved in that fight. And that's just one aspect, the mental health piece of it. There's the day-to-day operations of it. 
there's all the other things that go with it, right? But but us having staff non-commissioned officers who dominate that gray area is really, really important. And and you don't have to, in order to do it, you don't have to be heavy-handed or anything like that. But you've got to have the support and you've got to be able to withstand an allegation. And staff and CEOs have said, yeah, we're not so sure that's going to happen. So this is dedicated to everybody that's involved uh, in that fight. Uh, Good luck, right? Um, Your success has a little bit of you bet your life on it. Right? So don't be afraid to fight. Don't be afraid to fight about it in public. Up's got to be up. And right now, up is not so up. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. So I um Yeah, the leadership thing is something we'll talk about a bunch because um, it's changed. And I didn't really realize that till my son Patrick joined the Fleet Marine Force. 
or whatever we call it now, the operating forces. And he would come home. <laughs> Whoa. Um, I'll tell you another thing that happened to me over the weekend. Um, Google TV that I used to subscribe to as of Friday, Saturday, they announced that they would no longer carry ESPN. They were in a fee dispute with ABC, Disney, and ESPN. So I said, well, I'm paying 70 bucks a month. Without ESPN, they dropped at 15, so now it's 45, 50, something like that, 55. So I thought, I wonder if I call Spectrum. That's why I got my internet through. And if I bundle it, and I think they have a mobile app now. Um, I wonder how that'll work out for me. Needless to say, I saved money, spe- <laughs> speeded up my internet, and uh, and have access to more programming. So anyway, yeah. And then Google announced Sunday that, oh, we reached an agreement. Sorry, folks. Too bad. So sad. One of the reasons I was late today was I was broadcasting. I was recording in Studio B this morning. Studio 2. Should it be A or B or 1 or 2? I'm not sure. Studio B sounds right. Which is uh, my old studio in the house in a bedroom. But I don't use that because I have a really nice studio out in my garage that I built. And um, so I, um, yeah, I was recording the Mensa Brothers in there this morning. And um, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, well. That's amazing, huh? When that happens. I'll think of it here in a few minutes. Yeah. Oh, no, I just, that it's cold out here. So it's currently 47 degrees here in Southern California. 47 degrees. Like, what the hell is that? We're going to go up to 65 degrees uh, today. So, yeah, it's cold. Quantico, it is sunny in 38, so it got cold on the East Coast. At Cherry Point, sunny in 46. Marine Corps Base 29 Palms, sunny in 41. Camp Pendleton, sunny in 43. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy 69. Camp Butler on Okinawa, dark cloudy 60. Whoa, that's cold in Okinawa. The Philippines in the 70s, dark cloudy 79. Darwin. This is like earth-shaking news. Dark cloudy, 74. Darwin, like 10 degrees colder. Yeah, global warming. Don't you know? Uh, Today would have been my uncle's birthday. My uncle Muggs would have been 88 today. He passed away about a year ago. My godfather. And then uh, a guy who changed my life. His birthday today. My company gunnery sergeant. Lance P.Y. That's right. Big dude with big ears. And uh, it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, 
Gunny Y. And happy birthday to my Uncle Muggs. Um, that is a look at your weather. Let me look and see where the weather's going this week before we check some news headlines, and then the Mensa Brothers will join us. Um, 65 today, 67 tomorrow, 64 on Wednesday, 61 on Thursday with 84% chance of rain. And on Friday, 61 degrees. Uh, this past Saturday, Colleen and I went to the dump. Mm-hmm. Now, I would tell you this. I think the art of being a good parent is um, the art of turning something into nothing. Trips to the dump become a magical adventure. Yep. Um, let's see. Putting up the Christmas lights, an incredibly magical adventure. All you got to do is apply a little creativity and you, yes, you can make it, right? Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which we all know and love. So I think that's that is the that's the art of parenting. It's taking those everyday uh, events and making them something. So Colleen, you know, on Saturday she's laying on her dead ass in bed. I said, "Hey, get up, we're going to the dump," and she's like, "Uh, really?" And I said, "Yeah." So she does get up because she knows. And uh, we clean out the rafters, and there was some uh, chairs and some patio furniture I wanted to get rid of, along with some other stuff. We throw it all in the truck. We throw the puppies in the truck, and we all head for the landfill. Get to the landfill. The guy says, uh, "Yeah, our system down. We're only getting. We're only taking cash." I'm like, "Come on, man! I mean, what is that?" And he starts laughing, <laughs> and he says, um, "He says, I'm sorry, man." I said, where do I get cash? He said, well, if you turn around back a mile down the road, there's an in and out. There's there's a shopping center on that corner. Yeah, there's an ATM in there. I'm like, all right. So we had a big day. Went to the, uh, got bought candy. That's always one of the things I've always done. We go buy a bunch of candy. We go to the dump. And the dump's always an adventure. I, I've always enjoyed going to the dump since I was a kid. Yeah, and Sacramento was on Gerber Road. Used to go out there with my dad. Normally in the winter, and we normally on a Saturday, we'd be listening to the Notre Dame football game. Yeah. And we had a Ford mainline, 1953 Ford mainline, and we'd take out the back seat. I think it was like a half a city block. You could put like full garbage cans in the back seat, standing up. That's right. And then we'd throw a bunch of shit in the trunk and we'd go to the dump. But my dad would never let me get out of the car. I was like pissed. Like, But I mean, I used to love going to do that with my dad, so. I continued that tradition with my kids. So, and then we put up Christmas lights. That's the other thing we did. So we have kind of, I think it's Christmassy. If you're Italian, you might say, oh, it's Italian. But it's red, white, and green Christmas lights. That's the motive, Christmas colors. So Colleen and I put those up and uh, got them all synced up on their uh, dust to dawn timers and shit like that. So McNamara House. Um, but you know what? Because I was gone, I haven't bought a Christmas tree yet. So Catherine comes over last night. She goes, you still haven't bought a Christmas tree? I'm like, yeah, I haven't got to that yet. She's like, really? And I'm like, sorry. So, and then yesterday I did for the first time in about a year, I did nothing. Absolutely nothing. I watched two football games. And other, other than that, I didn't do shit. 
Um, but let me tell you this. I, I want to give a shout-out today. And I won't say his full name, but his name's Rob. I meet Rob in a post-traumatic winning seminar that I do for civilians. And um, he shows up, and he's a bit of a drinker. And he's lived a tough life. And um, one night he talks, um, he shares a story that he said, I don't share the story. And uh, he talks about a tattoo he has. And I think there's four shamrocks on it, five shamrocks on it. It's a kind of, it's a Celtic cross and it has shamrocks on it. Well, four of the shamrocks have a name in it. And one of them does not. And people ask, like, why does that shamrock not have a name in it? And he says, oh, it's in case I ever have another kid. But that was a lie. The empty shamrock was for um, a baby that he fathered, a little girl, when he was 17, 18. And the baby was given up for adoption. So one night he bombs that out. And then he sent me a text later and he said, you know what, I never talk about that, but it just felt easy and it felt comfortable. And I can't believe how much I've grown since I've met you and got into this post-traumatic winning thing and whatnot. So <clears throat> there's another woman in the, in, in the program. Her name's Gretchen. Gretchen gave up a baby when she was 16 and then reunited with her 39 years later. So long story short, Rob met his biological daughter on Saturday. Actually, what, today's the 20th, 1918, on the 17th, on Friday. And um, actually, he texted me before he met her, and he says, I can't tell you how nervous I am. And I said, I said, hey, let me give you some advice. And he said, what? And I said, don't fuck it up. And he, he sends back, he goes, I needed that, thank you. I'm like, look, man, um, what you've done, you know, the questions for her you've answered already, no matter how it goes, you know, it's going to be good. You've done something really good. And he sent me this wonderful message um, last night thanking me for my role in all of this. And so I thought I'd just share that really cool story with you and that he reunited with his daughter, who he had never met in his life until Friday. And uh, so very, very cool stuff. Very, very cool stuff. So that was part of my weekend as well. All right. Um, headlines really quick. And then the Mensa brothers will join me. <clears throat> yeah, and, this, and the discussion today is pretty serious. Um. Headline, female ex-pilot in the Afghan military service, services in the United States defying rumors that she had been killed. Safia Farazi spoke with Stars and Stripes by phone over the weekend about her evacuation from Afghanistan, her reaction to a viral photo purportedly showing her death, and her hopes for remaking her life in the United States. So good for her. Good for her. The um, top story in the Wall Street Journal this morning 
is I was just I was just reading Stars and Stripes headlines to see if there's anything I should share with you. Um, top story in the Wall Street Journal this morning is stocks and oil both fall on news of COVID-19 curbs. So even though the Omicron um, version of COVID-19 is not supposed to be so seriously, so serious, um, there are measures being enacted all over the world. And so the markets are reacting to that. The... um, Top story in the New York Times today. Whiplash on U.S. vaccine mandate leaves employers totally confused. So a appeals judge reinstated the president's mandate that says OSHA has the authority to direct businesses to be in compliance with the president's executive order. So... That was enacted or put in place. A lower court ruled that it was uh, in violation of the U.S. Constitution or whatever and put it aside. And then this court that it got appealed to uh, went ahead and reinstated it. So that in the news this morning. as and, you know, And then what you're seeing is law enforcement officials from around the nation say, look, I'm not going to go be the vac- the vaccine or the mask, please. I simply do not have time to do that. Kind of an interest- interesting story in USNI News. Secnab del Toro sounds the alarm over Chinese illegal fishing. Now, just know this that illegal Chinese fishing, that's the Chinese Navy. Illegal and unreported fishing is happening on an industrial scale around the globe, and the culprit often is China's subsidized fishing fleet, according to Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro. Speaking last week at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, he added, one in five fish sold on the international markets is illegally caught. Declining fish populations due to climate change and overfishing are having a profound effect on sources of protein in poor nations, the secretary said. In his meeting with counterparts in Oceania and other nations, Del Toro said violations of their economics exclusion zone are at the top of their concern, as does their need for better maritime awareness of what is happening in their waters that include minerals and energy exploration. Yeah. And that culprit is China. Uh, The United States and France signed an agreement, uh, which is pretty interesting, uh, about naval cooperation. And think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, when it's a slow slow news day, what what do you write stories about? Tattoos is one of them, right? So that's what leads Marine Corps Times. <laughs> New in 2022, Marine Corps loosens its strict tattoo policy. Well, let me read that, right? Let me read that. Um, 
So that's the top story in Marine Corps Times. Uh, top five stories in the early bird today are as follows. Number one, hidden Pentagon records reveal pattern of failure in deadly airstrikes, according to the New York Times. Oh, and this is going to surprise absolutely nobody. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, because you're sitting there staring at at a target. And like, I don't, for the life of me, I, as somebody who's done a bunch of this, I don't know how you can mess it up that bad. People not paying attention, people not doing their jobs. I don't know. Uh, dishonorable just discharges for COVID vaccine refusal are off the table as military separations begin. So you're seeing various stories of uh, of different services and how they're and how they're separating people or not. Uh, when you look at the reserves, uh, the army estimates that ex- that only about sixty percent of national guardsmen are vaccinated. Like, what do you do about that? Start sending them home? That leaves you with a little bit of a problem, right? Um, Next story. This story's been going on for a couple weeks now. Hawaii and federal agencies greenlight the plan for the Navy to flush their tainted water system. So the Navy water system in Hawaii um, got contaminated with fuel. So that is the water system on Oahu. So the Navy's working with the state of Hawaii and the federal government to flush the system. We're going to start the first set of flushes perhaps as soon as yesterday. And so from 17 days after that, that community could have restored safe drinking water. Hmm. Unbelievable. Um, From Iraq, Iraq's green zone struck by rockets days after the U.S. ends its combat role. But the U.S. announced, even though we've ended the combat role, we're not leaving. About, I want to say, 2,400 Americans will remain uh, training and ab- doing training and advising missions. So not saying that might have been the reason for the, I mean, like the Iranians and those militias need a reason to launch rockets. Right. Um, next headline. At least 458 U.S. crimes tied to extremism involve veterans and active duty troops. This is in Defense One. So, again, I, I, this whole thing that we're painting the American military as a bunch of extremists, you know, is, is like the whole Chicken Little event that surrounded Marines United. What did it wind up being, Marines United? I want to say less than 50 Marines on active duty. In a force of, you know, 280,000? I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. So again, this whole discussion of extremism, right? And again, are they out there? Yes. Are there racists among us? Yes. I hate to break that news if you don't know that, okay? They're out there. They're shitheads all over the place. But do you live in a country that's dominated by these people? No, absolutely not. There are certainly idiots among us, and we know that. And we know that. So 
I don't know. I mean, this notion. Yeah. But it's 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 the dominant narrative now. Starting what about a week or two ago, you started seeing articles about you know we're close to another civil war. Like it's like what world do they live in? <laughs> Honestly. Honestly, what world do they live in? Now, I would say this. The digital age has empowered the crazies among us. They used to live in basement. They used to be weirdos in communities that nobody would associate with. Now what we've done is they have a mechanism to find each other, support each other, and raise money, and to put out their message, something they could have never. It's like the um, right, the goose that laid the golden egg. I don't know. Is that right? I don't know. Something like that or words to that effect. It's like the advent of digital communications and espionage. I mean, that which China could have never, ever, ever done, the internet gave them the capability to do. Same thing with these fools, right? Civil war. I don't even think most people understand what a civil war is and what our civil war was. I mean... I think it's stupid. Um, you know, I've been talking on the program for, this is going longer than I intended it to go, but I've been talking on the program uh, for a while about um, what what does Russia actually want? What are they doing? What What is Vlad Putin's end state for his, um, for the charade that he's uh, playing? So this is self-induced. He ordered those uh, Russian troops to the Ukrainian border, right? He's orchestrating all of this. To what end? Okay? So that's the question. So to what end? Now, he, being Dr. Evil, he loves to play this game, and he's really good at it. He's better, I would say, at strategy than anybody else on the planet. But that's a fairly low bar, so don't let that go to your head, Vlad. So here's the story, a uh, headline from the Associated Press. Russia sets out tough demands for security pact with NATO. On Friday, Russia published a draft security, published security demands that NATO deny membership to the Ukraine and other former Soviet countries and roll back the alliance's military deployments to Central and Eastern Europe, bold ultimatums that are almost certain to be rejected by the U.S. and its allies. The proposals, which were submitted to the United States and its allies earlier this week, also call for a ban on sending U.S. and Russian warships and aircraft to areas where they can strike each other's territory, along with a halt to NATO military drills near Russia. The demands for a written guarantee that Ukraine won't be offered membership already has been rejected by the West, which said Moscow doesn't have a say in NATO's enlargement. NATO Secretary General John Stoltenberg, I think that's how you say his name, emphasized Friday that any security talks with Moscow would need to take into account NATO concerns and involve Ukraine and other partners. The White House similarly said it's discussing the proposals with U.S. allies and partners, but noted that all countries have the right to determine their future without outside interference. So 
It'll be interesting. So here his demands are that he knows will not will be rejected. So where does this go from here? And what does he ultimately want? Uh, from Reuters, next headline. NATO will not let Russia dictate its military posture, according to Germany. So again, it's kind of weird. Germany like sounding like a strong nation when it's not. Yeah, so anyway, so German Germany's uh, foreign minister, you know, had a little bit of, I guess, or minister of defense. She had a, uh, a press conference and had some strong words. Anyway, Iran nuclear program rapidly accelerating since the U.S. left the nuclear deal, according to officials. So again, um, and if you saw other comments about the Iran nuclear deal, you saw people in the Biden administration saying, yeah, these preliminary discussions are not going well. So where does that leave the world and Iran relative to nuclear weapons? Knowing this, the Israelis won't, won't allow it. So will you have an Israeli-Iranian war? Now, let me tell you, the Arab world would love to see that. Ultimately, regi regime change in Iran provided to you by the Israelis? What? The Arab world would be rejoicing. Rejoicing. Um, U.S. airstrikes on Taliban surged in the war's final months amid failed prevent to failed bid to prevent Afghan military collapse. Well, yeah, no kidding. Uh, South Southcom four-star general, right, first female to op occupy that position. General Laura Richardson said Friday she is focused on strengthening military relationships with South American countries despite the difficult political environment down there. So good luck to her. Russia sends nuclear-capable bombers on patrol over Belarus. So, uh, again, noisemaker by Vladimir Putin. Black Sea NATO allies call for added securities amid Russian buildup. So, and then General Grady confirmed as the new vice chair. Was it General Grady? Or Ad I think it's Admiral Grady. <laughs> Excuse me. Admiral Christopher Grady, that's right, new vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, Congress and politics. Veterans and bipartisan groups of lawmakers look forward to the Afghan War Commission. Whoa. What will they look into, the Afghan War Commission? Hmm. Will they, will they ask the hard questions about why did we fight a war and quit? Hmm. We shall see. Uh, military housing advocates. Now, I started doing this in June of 2016. I want to say in the spring of 2017 is when the housing thing kind of exploded. Reuters, if I'm not mistaken, did a series of stories on military housing that included mold and sickness and all kinds of stuff. And that got into the public view. And then we had hearings and everybody ranted. So now we're, what, four years, almost four years later? Um, almost four years later, we're still dealing with it. Headline, military housing advocates call on Congress to review shortfalls in troops, right to withhold rent, and resolve disputes over repairs. That was from day one. That was one of the major, major points of this thing. That, that I would not pay rent to anybody 
where there was mold in my home, whether where the pipes were leaking, whether there was uh, rodents and insects in 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 my home. Yeah. So anyway, all right. So that is a uh, look at the news. And uh, I told you, I'm I think I, I'm going to try to trick the Mensa Bros into coming on all week. Now, they don't know this, so don't say anything to them. But normally you can get these fools because we have fun when we do this, right? And so um, so normally you can trick them into doing that, just promising them that it'll be a good time. And it's Christmas. Come on. But we had an interesting discussion about leadership today, and it, it centers around an article that, that appeared last week. Marines unveil new staff non-commissioner, non-commissioned officer promotion warrant. Okay, so we've had these historical documents that are our promotion warrants, and they've been around forever. Why are we changing them? What has happened in the culture of the Marine Corps that has caused us to have to change you know, this historical document? And, and what do we think this change is going to lend itself to? And so I think you'll find the, the, the discussion coming up uh, pretty interesting. So, with that being said, here are the Mensa Brothers. It's not Thursday yet. It's Monday. But me, being the lazy fuck that I am, don't really want to work. So, what better way not to work yet to still be entertaining than to uh, invite my three foolish friends on who satirically have been named the Mensa Brothers. I don't know if anybody sees the great irony in that. I hope you do. It's all satire. But anyway, um, joining me from, uh, I don't know, I think he's in Fort Bragg this morning because he's up with the morning with the rising sun. He's got his watch cap on. He's got his green-on-green PT gear going. Will Costantini, otherwise known as Will C, when I'm afraid to say his last name, uh, so Will, uh, what's up with the costume and how did your weekend in Vegas go? Uh, it's 28 degrees this morning in Kansas city. So I had to go pick up my dog at the, uh, kennel. So I had to be out in the weather. So you got to have proper protection. And Vegas was, was good. Um, I left a little money on the floor. My traveling companion took home like three thousand dollars. I don't know how they build those hotels and those slot machines are paying out that way, but they were. And uh, went down to Fremont Street on Saturday night. Uh, it was really live. Yeah, it was a good time. So, as the professional gambler in the group, you came home fleeced, and your friends, amateurs, came home plussed up, but. That's, there you go. That can't be good for the ego, yay. <laughs> not that you have pro- hey, hey, not that you have problems with self esteem. From, from social security retirees, bro. Vegas means nothing to you. I mean, it's nothing. Yeah. Up in a road. Wow. Wow. All right. So there's Will. And joining me from McAllen, Texas is Tim Lynch. Tim, you're like uh we're actually recording this at zero six fifteen. And Tim is like up, scrubbed, and he looks like he always does. So, uh, Timothy, good morning. How are things in McAllen, Texas? Merry Christmas. Then McAllen, Texas, being two hours ahead of you, it's later in the morning here. Thus, my preparation. And things are fine. It's it's bone chilling, fifty degrees, 
which will cause the locals to dress up like Eskimos, and that's always amusing. So we, uh, we're going to get a little bit of cold weather for about 48 hours, then back up into the 80s. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, and the one of us who's still gainfully employed, Jeffrey Kenny in Southern California, getting ready, got his lunch pal ready, getting ready to head out the door and put another hard day of work uh, for the federal government. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, Merry Christmas. Good morning. How are you? Good. I'm good. It's, it's a little chilly here, Mac. I think you and I are in this, within 30 miles of each other, so it's like uh, 45 degrees is the last time I looked. Yeah, which is horseshit. Which is, uh, which is horse, for San yeah, horseshit in California. Okay, we don't do. We don't have the insulation in our homes to yeah. do 45 degrees, and so I'm in studio. It's because of global warming, it's cooler. I mean, exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm much. So, yes, I like. I'm all, I like global warming when we're doing drought. And it's like 62 in the morning. I'm good with that. This shit, this shit, I'm in Studio 2, which is one of my back bedrooms, because it's too fucking cold in my garage. Um, and uh, But, you know, last week uh, we did uh, a segment, and Jeffrey uh, wound up singing in it. And uh, I got all kinds of feedback on it about uh, how, how, how wonderfully surprised everybody was. At Jeff's not only his uh, his uh, choice of the Wizard of Oz, but also his singing capability. And uh, as I related that to him before he came on, he said, "Well, you know, Mac, I've remembered uh, more of the lyrics of that song, and some of them are just they're rather pithy." And I said, "Well, would you consent to like continuing the song?" And he said, "Of course I would." So, uh, Jeff, did you, I'll just. Well, stop laughing because I'm trying to get through this. I'm yeah. trying to do the intro. With the, Jeff, would you? Uh, do you need more of an it's intro song, than that? Song by the. No, I'll take it from here. So it's a song sung by the actor who played the cowardly lion, a guy named Bert Lahr, who was a comedian, and um, in, the, in 1939, and uh, he's talking mainly to Judy Garland, who plays um, Dorothy, the main character in Wizard of Oz, and he's singing to her, and he says. The first thing that jumps out at me was he said, oh, it's rough, I tell you, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the vivid verb. And then the music goes, do-do-do-do-do-do. And then I remembered more of it. And later on, he says, another stanza, he says, I'm afraid there's no denying. I'm just a dandelion. <laughs> Fate I don't deserve, which rhymes with, you know, without the vivid verb. And then finally he said, you know, um, I regret. Really show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. I think the Wizard, the Wizard of Oz, the main characters are looking for something. Dorothy wants to look for a way home to Kansas. Although, looking at Will's get-up, I don't know why anyone want to go back there. Um, the lion wants courage, or the nerve, as he calls it. The scarecrow wants a brain, even though he's pretty smart as it is. And the, and the, the tin man wants a heart. And... Uh, so that's uh, my favorite flicks, and that's my favorite character in it, the lion. Why? So, you know, the way he does that it. with the that's lines. That's the news, and there ain't no weather. <laughs> the, the way he does that with the rhymes and whatnot, yeah. it yeah. sounds like he's like he's appropriating rap music by 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 tempo and lyrics. I don't yeah, know. He, this could be problematic. It. Yeah. Who, could no. you imagine? You could rap that now. I bet they do do that. This is 1939. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, now I'm curious. Has anybody? Well, I mean, you ask yourself. Has anybody? Louis Armstrong played the Cowardly Lion. Then, 
Louis oh, but he could sing. Louis Armstrong. Yeah, he would, could sing. Though. He was awesome. Yeah, he was. But he you could know, sing. He wouldn't rap. Yeah. And and he'd be playing that trumpet, and yeah. you see his eyes bulging out of his head, and you're like, holy shit, man! They're gonna go rolling down his cheeks pretty soon. But he was funny. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I mean always. Um, I has anybody read The Wizard of Oz? No, I have. Okay, no. so yeah, it's more of a. It's like a. It was in the 1890s, like a political book. Uh, it, the, it was uh, people who who were running for um, well, uh, uh, president against the idea that people should give up their farms and move to big cities and work in industry. And uh, that's what the whole idea of the uh, Wizard of Oz is about. There's no place like home. Stay home and work your your you know your property. Kind of like a uh, the evolution of Thomas. Jefferson's attitude towards cities and stuff, and uh, the uh, um, oh, geez, the uh, there was a progressive guy who ran for president repeatedly and always got beat, but uh, he ended up uh, de- debating uh, the Scopes Monkey trial with uh, Clarence Darrow in the twenties. His name was I wish I can't remember it now, but he was like the leader of that anti-progressive uh, Scopes movement. Anti- Moved to the cities. The Scopes Monkey Child, the professor, uh, school teacher who was teaching evolution in, in, and uh, in the South somewhere. And uh, he William was, uh, Jennings Bryan. They had a trial over it. Right? Was he doing? Was he blaspheming? You know? Yes, William Bryan. That's right. Well, he was the guy. He was the main. Um, that was kind of his last trial in the twenties. But in the eighteen nineties, um, that book came out by someone who uh, supported him um, and. Uh, which was, I'll think of the guy who wrote it in a minute, but uh, and that's what it mainly was. But when the movie was made, um, that was a that was OBE, the idea of moving to cities by 1939, and uh, but it was still a good flick. And you know, it was uh, because you only, you only can have so much in a movie; it can only last for so long. Uh, I mean, sound in, in films was only about eight or nine years old at that point. And correct me if I'm wrong. That so, was the first major. They had it and, uh, was that the first major use of color film? In color. Yeah. No. Yeah, Je- white in Kansas. Jeff, you need now, to- if you look at Will, he's in black and white, and uh, by choice. It's- if you look at Will now, he's in black and white, just like because Kansas is in black and white in the movie, but the the eyes is colored. Can you hear me? Yeah, but you should shut off your video because it's your audio is kind of choppy. I gladly, because I'm getting disgusted with my own face here, so I'll gladly shut it up. <laughs> How about now? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, um, I could sing again. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is the, so the the story of the Wizard of Oz is that each one of them is seeking something that they find inside themselves. Is that is that ultimate? Yeah, they already have. They already have it. No, I'm, no, I'm, they've no, been led to believe they don't have it. No, I'm, no, I'm fascinated with the. No, now we need to go down. Now we need to do a deep dive on the Wizard of Oz. The, uh, but we won't do that today. Um, there was uh, the Marine Corps. Uh, I want to talk leadership. The Marine Corps <clears throat> uh, article written in the Marine Corps Times. Marines unveil new staff non-commissioned officer promotion warrant. And I saw that, and I went, what? Um, 
And so uh, I want to talk about that. Has leadership changed so much that we're now redesigning promotion warrants to reflect that? So the only one of us that has been a a Marine staff non-commissioned officer is Jeffrey. So Jeffrey... um, I will uh, I will hand you the floor. That way we can nightingale off you this time, uh, which would be entirely appropriate. So um, sure. your thoughts on uh, the redesign of the promotion work? Well, I don't think it's necessary. And uh, I think that uh, – are you guys there? Hello? Yes, we're here. Okay. Well, I, I don't think it's necessary. It smacks of cosmetics. Uh, and and uh, here's the reason I say that. There's currently a controversy going on in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, kind of like uh, connected to the new force design that General Berger has, you know, put forth. Um, we're part of the the, the DOD, um, you know, uh, I guess you'd call it uh, belief that white supremacy and uh, misogyny is a, is a problem in our service. And, uh, and so this, like, new oath, you know, seems to me to be, number one, cosmetic, because, like I said before, it's not really necessary. The original oath is, is fine, you know. The, and, the, and the fact that, well, it's got to be different than what the NCOs have, no, nah, it doesn't really. Everybody who's in any kind of any, – any position of authority in the Marine Corps, whether he's a corporal – or whether he's, you know, a lieutenant general, has the same responsibility, and that is to accomplish the mission, you know, and to preserve the force as much as possible in order to accomplish subsequent missions. And uh, you can you can distract people, you know, with uh, you know, with new oaths and things like that. But like I said, I think it's largely cosmetics, i.e., lipstick on a pig. It doesn't really mean much. That's my belief in it. All right. Um, I hope you heard me. Yeah, we heard that. Um, <clears throat> Tim, your thoughts on it? Oh, I completely agree with Jeff. I think what's happening here is leadership at the senior level of Marine Corps has devolved to the point where they put out press releases about redesigning an oath that nobody needed to redesign, and they call that leadership. I, I think that's what's going on here. What Jeffrey said, I, I entirely agree with we are in naval service. Staff NCOs in both the Navy and the Marine Corps, being your chief petty officers in the Navy and staff NCOs in the Marine Corps, have always had a, a tremendous amount of authority and responsibility within the force structure. Um, and that was one of the things that uh, that separated us from the other services. I think the Marine Corps had much more than the Navy, but a Navy senior chief, master chief, he's no putz in theory. Those oh. guys are leaders too. Oh, my God. You see what I'm saying? Let me tell you. So we've all, they've always they've always been special. They know they're special. We know they're special. We say it every day of the year for crying out loud. I think that this is just more bullshit. We're going to do this new new uh, thing and call it an improvement. And I call it I, I call it what what Jeff called what Jeff called it, which is just political theater. Okay. Before Will hops in, let me tell you both that you're wrong. And let me tell you what this is attempting to address. And then, well, you can bomb in. Um, When we were in the Marine Corps, the staff and SEALs ran the Marine Corps. Um, When I was on sea duty, the chiefs ran the Navy. 
Okay, what has happened, um, whether it be Marines United or somehow or other, the PAC order, uh, the institution has communicated to staff NCOs, if you attempt to dominate the gray area in the way that you used to attempt to dominate it, right, you will be terminated from employment. We will not stand behind you. So the staff and CEOs as a group, I would tell you, and again, I've been going around the Marine Corps for the last few years, and this is an issue, and I'll, and I'll link it back to suicide. If you attempt to dominate that gray area like you used to, <clears throat> you won't survive an allegation because we won't stand behind you because I'm not losing my career over it as an officer, right? Because we set the environment. We wrote the PAC order, which is an overreaction to Marines United, right? And then um, what, what was the one before the white supremacist? There was another one in which, you know, the, the whole cart gets turned over and it winds up being less than 50 people that are ultimately charged and disciplined. I can't even remember what that one was. But um, so we go through these things. But whether it's because of social media now or the way, that, you know, the, the Marine Corps gets covered um, uh, and the scrutiny that, that officers face, the staff and CEOs have concluded, I can't stand an allegation. So they've pulled out of that gray area um, that they used to dominate. In addition to that, uh, towards the end of our careers, um, there was this phenomenon that happened that said, we don't own the barracks anymore. They do. Okay. And that unleashed something in the Marine Corps in a very, very rampant way. It gave the charismatic Lance Corporal right shithead uh the uh the grounds to run wild in the barracks and they did so what you see now and i think what this is an an attempt to is there's something called the barracks war that i never heard of that that we are losing and the people that stand in the face of that are our staff ncos and our ncos and we've disenfranchised that them we've taken away their power i would say a grammar school teacher has more power and authority than a, you know, than a, than a staff NCO. And, you know, the, the major punishment now is write me an essay. That's what they do. And so the, and the way this impacts suicide is, is, you know, I, I say, you know, before we had mental health people who used to be our therapist, who was the best therapist I ever had? My company gunny, Lance Y. He's the guy who walked up to me less than four hours after seeing one guy decapitated, three other guys fight and lose a fight for their lives and looked at me and said, you know you're never getting over this, right? He puts his big meat hook on my shoulder and pulls me deeper into the tribe, right? I don't get sent away for shit. He changes my life, puts me on a path to do what I do today, but I got pulled deeper into the tribe by that group of staff NCO. They were our therapist, right? And when I told him to fuck off and asked him, who told you that shit? He said, Vietnam Marines told me. And he told me that story. And this was this oral tradition where we took care of each other. And that's how it worked. Well, that's not how it works anymore. Well, Be- because, saying- Be- because let me, and I'll finish and I'll give up the floor and then we'll let Will talk and then you, Jeff. But so what I encounter all over the Marine Corps is in that void, Marines are dying. Because I don't know if I should stick my neck out because I can't stand an allegation. And that is the environment that the officer corps has created that the staff and CO works in. So I think it's a pretty interesting dynamic. I think this is an effort 
to begin to address that and say, we need to go back into that gray area and dominate it. They've just rewritten the pack order too, which is, and so, which leads me to a broader question that I'll ask next after Will talks and Jeff responds. And that is, has leadership changed so much in the Marine Corps, so much in life because of the world that we live in? With that said, we'll see. The floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, I start out with what's the problem you're trying to solve? And Mac identifies a problem, but this is a really underhanded, stupid way of addressing that problem. Um, if if there is a deficiency in staff NCO leadership in the last 20 years uh, in the deployed arena, I'm, I don't really know about it. Um, and so... The Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps convenes a board at headquarters Marine Corps to look at this. Well, time is a zero-sum game. All the time you're devoted to this, you're not devoting to something else. And if if the Sergeant Major would have come straight out and said, this is our problem statement, that staff NCO leadership has been degraded by officers who've imposed certain orders, etc., Changing a warrant actually doesn't attack that problem. I got some other things that maybe they could be doing instead. What's the leadership impact of unit versus individual rotation in the combat area? What's the impact of social media on staff NCO, NCO leadership? What's the impact of pre-accession trauma on junior leaders and how they're able to carry out their orders? What is a good daily routine to set up good order discipline in the force? Did we get awards right in the last 20 years to reinforce good order, morale, and discipline? Is the timeliness of awards an issue that contributes or detracts? Those are things that senior staff NCOs in the Marine Corps could actually have some influence, impact, good ideas, and maybe attack some real problems. Um, Jeff said, this is cosmetic. And when you do cosmetic things because you're unwilling to do fundamentals, the force just becomes more cynical. Uh, I, I, I haven't been able to find the actual order. I found a video where they read the order, and I was too lazy to transcribe it to really try and dissect it. But in the articles, you know, the sergeant majors that they got talking are – uh, you know, properly enthusiastic uh, about this. And uh, uh, I, I find it really sort of disgusting and horrible. Um, it, 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 if there's an issue, let's identify the issue and attack it with something real. Um, by doing more of this, uh, it, it what happens when the first gunny says, oh, I thought I was the protector of the ethos. And here's how you protect the ethos. You tell people to fall in. Oh, gunny, that seems a little toxic, doesn't it? Then what happens to the force? It only gets worse. So I'm going to stop ranting because I think Jeff's got a good You know, rant that wasn't much of a rant. Just when I think you're a retirement-stealing rube, because Timmy's convinced me of that, you haul off and say something substantive like that, it makes me question everything Tim says. Wow. No, no, if he's taking money from the rubes, doesn't mean he's a rube, dude. 
It doesn't? My, my, Will C's a buddy of mine. He's a smart ca- character. Hey, and the idea that Jeff is the only one gainfully employed here. What? I'm collecting retirement I wouldn't even, pay. I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> right? I've earned this. I don't know. Okay. Jeffrey? Roger. Well, um, like you said, I was a staff and CO, you know, and I was uh, for a while. And I have to tell you, I'm going to say some things that some of the listeners are not. Okay, hold on. You understand um, about the statute of limitations, Jeffrey. We've gone through this before, okay? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, I wasn't that impressed with my peers. There was a couple great ones. But most of the good ones either got out when they were sergeants after their first or second enlistment, or they became officers. A couple of them hung in there. But your picture, you point, Mac, is not the picture that I was living in. Now, I don't normally do this, but I will this time. I think it's important that everybody understand what Jeff is saying, and that is this. When he was a staff NCO, this was his experience. Okay? And so I think that, and he'll come back to this later on in the interview, but I think a lot of people will hear what he, what he just said and say, oh, wow, he's... You know, he's talking about current staff NCOs and they're not very impressive. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about when he was a staff NCO, late 70, early 80s, before he was commissioned in the early 80s. So just, I rarely do this, hop into an interview and and clarify something. I thought it was important that I clarified this. So with that done, back to the interview. There was a couple of guys like that. Most of them were not. And part of it was because it's not true that the staff and COs run the Marine Corps. The officers run the Marine Corps because they are the ranking people in history. That's the way it is. You can say that crap about, you know, the uh, I shouldn't say that's kind of harsh to say crap. You can say that they did have a big influence. And the reason they had a big influence. Well, well let me just say my point is that the you're use- right. The, you're right about the gray area. Right. Let that. Me finish, please. You know, you're right about the gray area. I like that phrase gray area because that's true. Because there was a gray area because no one was really paying attention to what was going on in the military in general, or the Marine Corps in particular. You know, it didn't happen until basically the 70s and 80s. I mean, the first little glimmering was when those guys got drowned at Ribbon Creek. Before that, no one gave a shit. That, because the rise of news media and the, and, you know, the more you had TV news and stuff like that, and then, that, then you preach and you got to the Internet, people are interested in everything. So when something happens in the military, it, it, it tweaks special interest groups, whether it be the, the women empowerment special interest group, the, you know, or you can go right down the line you know, of the woke organizations. And so the people who, who, who uh, the officers empowered to run you know, the day-to-day lives of the, of the Marines who actually do the missions, that all of a sudden came under scrutiny in a big way. And um, and some things were wrong. There, there's a few isolated incidents of egregious behavior, like the ribbon creek thing, like uh, the the Gary Hispack thing, where his hand was shot off in the mid 70s, like the McClure incident where the guy was beat with bugles sticks, and others. Then, like the isolated incident of a guy being, you know, guys being hazed unnecessarily, mainly in recruit training, but also beyond. And so that stuff, they kind of painted the whole service with that brush, and the main criminal in this thing or the main culprit was always a staff NCO, sometimes an NCO. 
rarely an officer. The officers would get in trouble for the errant comment, you know, the, uh, you know, the politically incorrect um, statement that he might have made, you know, in a moment of weakness or a moment of lack of self-awareness. But the, that's the, and that's almost all of it is cosmetic. It doesn't really have anything to do with the effectiveness of the force. And that's what I mean when I say that. Do we got great NCO? Will and I were in Lima 3-8. Those kids, those young guys, those corporals and stuff, especially in my position, they got out because impressed. And I mean staff and CO wise. Because a lot of things happened to staff and COs. The barracks changed into a hotel. Um, everybody uh, you know, had their own personal communication, you know, pocket-sized computer and their and their pocket. A lot of things that uh, we used to depend on them to do no longer necessary. We're no longer no longer possible. You know? So I guess the question then evolves to: um, Has leadership um, changed that much? And 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 if you've been around great staff and CEOs, and I mean they did dominate the gray area, and the chiefs did the same thing on the ship. You know, they were in in Navy that I saw in 1987 through 1989. I mean, mean, it was rough to be a junior officer because those chiefs, man, they knew those ships. Um, They ran the show. And I I think in in good Marine units, you had good staff NCOs that, that, that ran. Now, that ran the gray area. And that's as a lieutenant and as a captain. That's the world you live in. They hold sway in that, right? Um, the company commander has control over the environment, but as a lieutenant, you're kind of a cork bobbing in that, you know, you have a very, very limited amount of control. And so that gray area is what they dominate. And so to me, the loss of the barracks, the barracks goes from being something that they own, walk through, inspect, right? It now becomes a dorm which lends itself to a more, uh, a less regulated world for the young Marine. Um, the cell phone. Now they've all got an account on Twitter, and you can be put on blast like any officer can, like any company commander, battalion commander can, at the movement of a thumb. Does Has all this changed the world of leadership to the extent that um, we wouldn't even recognize it in a lot of places anymore? Because, um, <clears throat> you know, Dave Furness, when he was CG Second Marine Division, he, he put out this thing about basic daily routine because this stuff wasn't happening. And people, I mean, and 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 this story is emblematic of this issue, right? The the world reacts, the world of Marines reacts, and he is absolutely drugged through the street. But everybody knows he's right. Because everybody knows that discipline has is, is, is waned across the board in the in the American military, and certainly in the Marine Corps, but nobody says a word. No right. officer says a word about it, other than Dale Alford. Well, that's it. Right? You, just, you just mentioned it, Matt. You just said it. That's the thing. Officers don't say anything. If if staff and shows are good, and I was lucky in the rifle company I had and weapons, because the officers empowered them. You know, our battalion commander empowered the company commanders to empower your staff and COs. That is what's not happening. It's not that they're worse, you know, or it's that they're not allowed or, or required to be, you know, to be what they used to be. That's the real issue. I I would would say uh, allowed. 
re- required and enabled mm-hmm. uh, to, to be what we need, what the force needs them to be. And I, I, again, in that gap, I mean, young Marines are killing themselves because they hey, don't. Yeah, something out? They don't have that father figure, and many of them, if you understand where Marines come from, and we, we've always a, a, a lot of Marines come from bad circumstances, bad family situations, uh, bad financial situations, and they come, they're tough kids looking for a way out, or they're kids that maybe needed to be tough but weren't as tough as they wanted to be and, and want to learn how to be tougher, and, they, and the Marine Corps is this thing for them. And then into that, they come, and then the gray area that was once dominated by Lance P.Y. is now, not do- is de- now dominated by the charismatic Lance Corporal who's winning the barracks war. And the staffing CEOs, you know, venture into that. But unless you're strong, atypical one, you know, the barracks is an intimidating place now. And so that's the world. And then that young Marine is now involved in the Lord of the Flies thing in the barracks. And they can't deal with it because their high schools haven't prepared them. If, you know, you've heard me say this before, but if I told you the world that young Marines, you know, young people are brought into, Colleen just graduated from high school last year, I would tell you that, uh, that world really cares about your feelings. That world cares if you think you tried. It doesn't matter how you conduct yourself or how you look, as long as you just eventually get there. And timeliness is not so big of a deal. Okay? And it's never really your fault. It's always the institution's fault, the teacher, the coach. You know, it's not. And though that's the system they go through. And the world is nothing like that. So if you add that on to coming from a bad background and then you join the Marine Corps and you go into this gray area that's dominated by the charismatic Lance Corporal, not very good. Timmy? In 1980, if you stood still in the in the head of Building 50, the enlisted barracks at the Naval uh, National Naval Medical Center, you'd get high. That entire building reeked of dope. 24-7. You could also get all kinds of narcotics on the side for a very limited amount of money. The thought of a senior staff NCO being a father figure to any of the corpsmen shoved into that shithole is laughable. There was there was no interaction with, with, with them hardly at all. Junior corpsmen interact with nurses and first class corpsmen mostly, and that's just the way it was. So my point being, we were here before what changed that was an accident on the Navy, on the Kitty Hawk, a naval accident on a training carrier where they found that everybody who was killed, pilots, officers, crewmen, and they lost a lot. Every one of them had THC in their system. And the Marine Corps said, there's a piss test for this, and we're going to piss test everybody. And if they're positive, we're throwing them the fuck out. And that's what started the big turnaround within the Navy Marine Corps time. Because we've been here before where the in the Navy. And, and who knows what the Navy barracks are like now at, at Bethesda. I guarantee you can't stand still and smell pot, though. I bet you money. And so it's not like we haven't been here before. The remediation only seems to occur, major course corrections only seem to occur following some kind of preventable tragedy of magnitude enough to get people pissed off. Because the Army and the Air Force were like, you're crazy. You can't throw out people for smoking dope. All of our troops smoke dope. All of our troops smoked dope, which was true in, in the Navy. You had a you had a ninety so, day window to make up your mind. Timmy, you what what was what was, or not. what was the incident on the Kitty Hawk? Kitty Hawk. It was a carrier training accident in which the pilots, the guy, the landing safety officer, all these people who were killed, all tested positive for THC. Wow. 
which had just been a newly developed test that they could perform at scale. And all of them are positive. So, That's so, where so, Will made me the piss offs. There you go. He didn't, because he knew it was Seven important. He knew it was important. He knew he had to have a quality individual to, to execute that. Will's obviously yeah. sees over the horizon, unlike the rest of us. But if you, if, if you. And I was. I became, I became the red baron of piss officers. <laughs> so it's true. But, hey, but man, unless you have a specific a specific uh, a gravity meter in your hand you're not you're not the red baron i'm the fucking red baron i knew exactly how to spot a fraud had to have a little oh, no, spec I, grab oh no there's no perception I got in my red wait a minute you just said fraud administering that test you just said fraud yeah. to the the man whose nickname is fraud man it's <laughs> kind of fraud <laughs> The, the the fraud fraud man in the recruiter's context is a a superlative. It's an honorarium. It is <laughs> like saying Caesar, because the man made mission. If you make mission, there are no crimes. <laughs> really? There are no crimes. No. The, no. Um, okay, so if you look at these incidents as we course correct, one gets us the the urinalysis. Another one, Marines United gets us the pack order. And now you get, I don't like the way he corrected me. I don't like the way her tone of voice. I don't like the way. So, I mean, it's so now we continue to course correct and course correct. And and pretty soon, you know, so I'm having this conversation with somebody. This is a couple of years ago. And I said, let me, and they're talking about assigning, um, assigning essays to people. And I said, what? And they're like, yeah, you know, that's how we do it now. We sign essays. I said, fuck that, man. Let me just tell yeah. you what, what works with the staff and CEOs. We used to, you know, Marines used to work in the chow hall. Okay. So our staff and CEOs, right, used to be able, used to have power. And they would assign Marines to go work at the chow hall. And that could be punitive. And they would wear your shit out. They would play fuck fuck with you, and they would just wear you wear your ass out. And you, they had tools at their disposal. So I said I would recommend to you start detention. And they just looked at me like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, just like an elementary school or a high school, right? Any any NCO or staff NCO or officer can assign somebody to detention at 1700. Once the workday is done, you report to detention. There's MREs there." Uh, you can, your cell phone stays up in your room and we're going to waste your motherfucking time till about 2100. And we're, we can do that for us. It's going to be, you're right, it's going to be supervised you by the, the right. XO, the first sergeant or the gunny. One, one lieutenant or a staff and CO is going to proctor it and we can support the gunny's beautification program. We can work on other it's shit. Called What's that? It's called EPD. There you go. Yeah. But it's going to be supervised well, and it's going to be for their growth. But waste their it fucking great, time. Though. I mean, that essay thing can be great. I think that's what Earl Ellis kept getting drunk and taking off his clothes in the in the club and stuff. And and General Lejeune said, "Hey, look, your punishment is, uh, you know, design this uh, future of amphibious war type thing, and then uh, give it, give me the, give me a copy of it next Sunday." And from there, we won World War Two. <laughs> I would say, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a logical leap, bro. Direct fucking link right there, man. <laughs> this, is, this whole thing is an interesting Absolutely. view of how the the organization evolves, right? We we came into the volunteer 
all volunteer force, and and I'm sort of with Jeff on this as a lieutenant. The good staff NCOs were the few shining lights, and the average staff NCO were the ones that we ended up kicking out of the Marine Corps because they were what was left over from the 70s. Uh, as a captain, uh, I the platoon sergeants I had were were all uh, capable, um, and as a battalion commander, uh, I had NCOs and staff NCOs that were. Blade Armor Reconnaissance Platoon Commanders in combat. Um, and I can think of in an entire battalion, I can think of two staff sergeants that I didn't trust in a battalion. Um, that's a complete flip from the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And it so, is. so I, and I've told people for years that I was. I was most impressed, typically with the gunnies and the first sergeants uh, in Iraq, that really, because in peacetime, in the peacetime training environment, gunnies and first sergeants really don't get tested. Uh, But in that combat environment, they've got full spectrum requirements. And uh, I was most impressed uh, with the performance there. And so... The institution, the Marine Corps, was very slow to react to the fact that our recruits by 1983, 84, 85 were better than our staff. Right. Right. And the Marine Corps was slow to react that we pushed so much responsibility in a combat environment to, again, I would say particularly E7, E8 rank, uh, of staff NCOs because platoon sergeants in the training environment are damn busy um, and they're tested. I think the, I think the, I think the gunny gets tested on a daily basis because he's got to deliver or she's got to deliver. I, th- well, I don't I don't know the first sergeant is, but I would think I think the gunny is. Uh, I I just as a as a company XO, the gunny is somewhat your partner in doing things right. and is important. But in the right. peacetime environment, you can cover for a bad gunnery sergeant. In the combat environment, much, much more difficult because it's 24-7. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, fair enough. And so – I agree with what he said about the 90s. That's exactly my experience. So had, you know, very good. The institution has now seen empowered E6, E7, E8s in the combat environment, Um, but then – doesn't allow that to follow through uh, as we continue the evolution of the force. Uh, And maybe this is a recognition that we sort of screwed it up. Um, But again, it's a, it's a backwards ass way of addressing the problem. It's a cosmetic. It's a, Oh, we have to get the doctrine right. And, and this, this lays out the requirements <laughs> that get promoted. Um, it, it's uh, it's a very top down, headquarters Pentagon centric yeah. view, uh, and it it reminds me of that book I just read, uh, the greatest uh, American, I think it was called about this guy who was a contractor for the State Department that went all over the world for every disaster you ever heard of. And the thing he did was 
just ask questions of people. Hey, what's going on? And he would write these reports based on his interviews with people on the scene, completely uninfluenced by doctrine or education or anything else. And so I'm wondering if the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps has actually done the hard work of going out to ask 200 staff NCOs and individual interviews that have an anonymity. What's the problem out here? And if they, if those 200 or, you know, whatever the statistically significant sample is, Tim, you know, 28 or something like that. You've got to be over eight, brother. Okay. If they, if they came up with the idea that our warrant doesn't empower us, okay, Go. I will eat no, 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 the say first it. warrant that's produced. Say it. Say it. We're doomed. We're fucking doomed. Okay. I mean, no, so we're not. That's. If that's if that, the solution, hey Jeff, if that's that the solution, the problem, yeah. if that was the problem that was identified, and this is a solution that they suggested, I will eat yeah, the first you, hundred warrants that are produced. Yeah, the, headquarters Corps. you're right, man. That's not what no one did that. That's you know we're you know I don't know if we're gonna have time back. We're gonna talk about the most uh, dramatic things about we, Vietnam. We might not get and, there. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well. Just I want real to. quick, the good thing I thought was the good thing was the helicopter use, which started in Korea but really came to fruition in Vietnam. Right. The bad thing was the top-down bullshit that came with the whole establishment of the Joint Chiefs, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and all that stuff. The Pentagon. Then you had a lot of top-down crap that didn't work. Silly ideas like the Army had this thing called the Pentomic Force. They're going to make because they assume that the all wars would be nuclear, you know, after uh, World War Two. Waste of time, waste of effort. All that pushed from the very top down, and the, the idea, the stupid idea, of the individual replacement system for units in Vietnam. We had guys coming and going constantly, destroyed, you know, really impeded cohesion. Another stupid idea from uh, you know pencil pushers, you know, who weren't even in the military, but they're working in the Pentagon, and uh, and so I think a lot of this type of shit, like that oath the new is the same type of thing we'll push it from down from above we know everything up here you know right. they know everything hey. about afghanistan they've never been there they've been there once we know everything about iraq they know everything about everything and they stay up in that building the, the small ones are the miserable ones i mean the good hey. ones are the miserable like general Furness, other people who work up there who are on the verge of suicide all the time because they see that it's a huge waste of money and time and effort and personnel Here's an interesting you, you said it. You talk about your kid, Mac, your son, Patrick. You know, what would you tell guys about being a company commander, you know, about about becoming an officer and just is uh, let your guys be good and require, you know, require them to uh, give them responsibility and make them do it and let them do it. Make them and let them and they will do it. They yeah. will be good staff. And, 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 and so you, you've got to be a leader. And if you don't have the balls to do that, then you shouldn't be a leader. And if and if that gets you right. fired, then fuck it. You, it the, the institution isn't worth it. Now, I have a point to make after Will makes his. Yeah, uh, the, the point on culture, you know, Jeff got going on the Pentagon. So uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not connected with this person on LinkedIn, but I saw it. And it's a person that's been on All Marine Radio before Uh-oh. that talked about being in the Pentagon and how great it was. And and listen, it made me sick to my stomach. It really did that a person would say that in public because no one would ever say that in public before. And you know, it was worse. 
what? is the number of commenters that said, yeah, this was the best tour of my career. I got to tell you something. Ah. When we have senior officers, this was a lieutenant colonel who put that out. And then the people following on. When you have people like that, we're doomed. Okay, let me we make. We are doomed. Let me make. Let me substantiate. We'll see's we are doomed prophecy. Um, okay, so we lose the barracks, right? So in this thing called the barracks war, we lose the barracks. They now own it. We don't have any. Right. I remember the first time I heard that. I said, "What do you mean we don't own the barracks? Of course we do. It's ours. We signed for it." Well, we wouldn't go out and inspect their homes out in town. And I said, "Bullshit." We used to. They were called health and comfort inspections. Right, and, and we, right, and we used to do it when we needed. We, we used to do it when we needed to do it when we thought something was wrong. Right, we would go out and say, "Hey, we're going to swing by. Staff sergeant and I are going to be there." Blah blah blah. So, so the barracks becomes a, a contested place, and then they dominate the barracks, right? And um, then uh, we conclude that we don't need to hold company formations, okay? Because um, it's just passing information, and now I can do it via a group text message. So now you have companies who they don't, they're run by very, very junior Marines. And so the adults among us, our staff NCOs, described to me by Sergeant Major as, Mac, we are the mothers of the Marine Corps. We get them dressed, right? We get them to work, right? We feed them, we solve their problems. We are the mothers of the Marine Corps. What happens when a mother doesn't see her kids very much? Nothing good. We know that, right? And so um, so into this world that used to be run by the collective, for instance, PT. We didn't used to have beautiful gymnasiums that we could go to and work out in, right? What did we do? Green on green. Get in formation. We're going to go down the O course. We're going to do the Daily 7. We're going to do that. Field day was a formal event, Right. What were our staff and COs doing during field day? They had their little power symbol of power, their green notebook, and a cup of coffee, and they were up in the barracks, and what were they doing? Hanging out. But what were they really doing? They were collecting. And so we were on their, on their Marines, right? They were gathering information. They knew these, these young guys and, and girls. And so we were constantly forced to the collective. That doesn't happen so much. You ask a, a young leader, you know, an, an officer, well, do you feel there every Thursday night? Do you inspect it Friday morning? Well, it's kind of a general cleanup, and sometimes we do some things. So this collective thing that used to bind us together, not so much, right? Not so much. When the company gunny sees the company together once, think about that. Our company gunnies used to see the company three times a day. And so what you what this thing is devolved to and then I have people say to me, oh, well, we could never go back to a system like that. It's just the Marine Corps has changed so much. And I said, look, Marines literally are dying in this void, in this gray area that is no longer. And so, as Will said, this is an attempt to 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 kind of get back to the gray area and the rewrite of the pack order was just released, I want to say, this last summer. And so I'll do leadership discussions about the things I talk about in post-traumatic winning, and I implore staff and CEOs, we need you to come back and be our therapist. The mental health people are doing everything they can, and look at the data. It's not enough. 
most of these young people don't have mental health issues, right? They are getting their asses kicked by life, and they need that heavy hand on the shoulder that looks at them and says, hey, let me tell you about me. I came from the same shit that you did. You can do this. I will show you. But they won't go there. And when I bring this subject up in a leadership forum, you see heads all over the theater or the classroom nodding. Most of them owned by staff NCOs. When you talk about, you know, they have collectively pulled out of that gray area because it's not worth my retirement. And so I think, you know, Will's right. If this is what you look at. I'm not just nodding off. (laughs) (laughs) That's a single nod to the chest, I think. Um, But and there and, and then the other interesting piece is when you open that up for discussion. Nobody wants to say anything. Right. I don't I'm going to stick my head out now in this discussion about the environment that's been created for us to do this. But they'll come up to me later or they'll email me later and say, thank you for bringing that up, because that is the issue. We don't believe we can survive an allegation. And they've written the pack order. And so, um, yeah, no, I think leaders. So, you know, I wanted to get to leadership. We can we can continue this discussion. But uh, final thoughts, Timmy, a final thought? You've been kind of, other than laughing uncontrollably in short stretches, I mean, you've been pretty quiet. No, there was was a minute there where I thought Jeff was was giving me another one of those great setups, you know, our... our but then he then he announced a topic I thought we were going to talk about and went down that route and I lost what the hell he was going to say. I will say this. The the uh, we've been here before. It took a tragedy to get the senior leadership focused on the importance of fixing what was broken at the staff NCO NCO enlisted Marine interface. They fixed it just fine with the help of a piss test. That was certainly a big incentive because it allowed cover to chuck out uh, non-performers. We fixed it before. I suspect we'll fix it again. I just don't know how big the tragedy that will force us to reckon with this is going to be. I, I, it's got to be something horrific to get our attention these days. And, and it will get our attention. And then once again, magically, we'll be fixed when serious people occupy the upper rungs of the military then they are serious about doing what they're supposed to do, which is to prepare the force to dominate. That's that's, just, that's the only thing they have to do. And and but they're not. They're, now they're doing all kinds of other weird things. And we got to wait until their attention gets focused back to the to the fundamentals before we see an improvement. Jeff, final thought. Well, I mean, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick the dead horse I've been riding. <laughs> when Will said I had NCOs and staff NCOs commanding LA LAR platoons out there in the uh, in the western part of Ambar because they had to because there weren't officers there right or for some reason one reason or another they were the only ones there they're in leadership positions they had to do it and they did it well and I think because Will empowered them because he had no choice you know but. Uh, that's, I did have choices, actually. You know, I actually had yeah. choices. Well, I had lieutenants yeah. that I didn't put in it's charge better. until I knew right. I could trust them. That's I a smart man. That's I could a trust. smart man. Because it's too, the stakes are too high to take a chance, to take too much of a chance. So yeah, you're right. But uh, so they, can, you know, if you, and that's the thing. It comes down to moral courage, I guess, to take a risk on your people. And like you said, Matt. 
you may they may not be able to handle it and you get relieved as as a result well you know go men aside you know i i never got screwed over by my if i if some if i if something was fucked up in my life it's because i fucked it up not because the guys who work for me did you know right there you go right well final thought yeah mac i I think that you give way too much credit if you think that they've actually identified a problem they're trying to solve. If, if you think that the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps thinks that we need Did I say that? NCAA, well, I, Did I say you that? You seem to be alluding to it that this is, this is part of their effort. I don't think they've identified that problem. I think they've identified that there's not enough ribbons, that there's not no, I would dis- I, I would I would disagree with you. I think that they know that it's a problem. I would. You think that the sergeant major fundamentally believes there is a problem with staff NCOs not being involved enough in the in lives of Marines, and his solution is a new fucking warrant. Yes. <laughs> if the sergeant major of the Marine Corps identifies a problem that is so fundamental as staff NCO involvement in the daily lives and routines of Marines. And his solution is to come up with a different warrant and the panel of senior enlisted leaders in the Marine Corps, that's their solution, then we will never solve that problem if that's the best they can come up with. That is the thinnest gruel out there. Yep. And as Jeff started Hopefully the whole program with, completely right. cosmetic. Will, I, I have this to say in response to you. I do believe um, that they that the Marine Corps understands what they've done to the staff NCO community. Um, they've taken all that power. The power that they used to wield in the gray area is now gone. Um, and um, and the Marine Corps is paying a price for it in, in terms of discipline. And uh, I would tell you also in terms of suicide numbers. And uh, and so um, they're trying to address it. And uh, again, but what I've been told is the rewrite of the pack order not enough. The 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 the, um, the barracks lawyer still uh, is empowered too much in the in, in the Marine Corps specifically and in the American military in general. They have too many rights. And uh, I think the day is coming, though, that maybe, and, and Timmy's right, I don't know what it's going to take, but, you know, uh, a friend of mine told me uh, when we were talking about the Bon Armour Shard, you want to know why two hours after there was a fire reported on the on the ship, nothing had been dumped on it by personnel in the United States Navy? I said, why? He said, they're all on their phones. They're all on their phones fucking around. He said, in a Teamster shop, you can be fired on the spot for being on your phone because they have traced, and we'll can probably comment on this, 99% of the accidents that occur are occur because somebody's on a cell phone. So oh, I can... Nowadays, yeah. I it's can, a violation of a federal rule for a rail crew to have a private cell phone in their possession on a on a locomotive, at least in the freight world, and I think in, trans, in uh, transit. 
as well. So what is what it's going to take to mandate three formations a day so our staff and COs can gather, can look people, and all of a sudden Lance Corporal Kenny, who's normally squared away and talking shit all the time, is all of a sudden really quiet and looks like shit today, right? And we yeah, don't have. So why doesn't why doesn't the commandant tell the story? Well, you should have and then the you should have three formations down. on Monday and three on Friday. You should be in the field. And so why doesn't the commandant put that out and then go down, do an unannounced visit at Camp Lejeune and fire a half a dozen battalion commanders because they didn't implement the order? That would get someone's attention. A new staff NCO promotion warrant? I Mm. mean, come on. We're trying to change an aircraft carrier here. you got to apply full rudder. Whoa, that was a nautical little thing you just threw out there, bro. Nice. I'm trying to raise the quality. Shipmate? Yeah, but again, have the sergeant, have the commandant go down, oh, you and go to a company formation and look in a training schedule, see a formation yeah, out there. Fire the first sergeant. The commandant reaches down, fires the first sergeant because he didn't have formation. That will get them the word that right. you actually are well, supposed remember, to do this. The whole, John Neller was complaining because people weren't standing up and talking to him in a while and stuff. But he didn't. That's how you get people's attention they fire you know you say hey look i really mean this and here's how i'm going to prove it i told you once told you twice i'm not telling you again oh that's so unfair to those poor first sergeants oh my god yeah Yeah. it will scar it will scar them for the rest of their lives and then they're going to get on twitter i mean but let me think about this Think about this. Three formations a day. You leave your phone at home or in your car. It does not go with you into the workplace, right? When you're here, you work for us. You know, to me, there's basic things. And and all this shit of, oh, yeah, we're going to pass all that electronically. I Again, I've had leaders look at me and say, oh, yeah, we could never go back to that. What the fuck uh, are you? I can go back to it tomorrow. Right. Well, hey, let me tell you. And you'll go back to it when you go to war, too. Right. You see, have, have you seen the Delta Force uh, Facebook page? No, I have not. Of course not, because those guys don't get on social media. <laughs> those guys don't do that kind of bullshit. Why don't we, in an effort to be did like you Delta just Force, use me as your? St- did you just use me as your straight man? That was nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I, was well I, done. I so. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And I got done. a public service announcement, too, which uh, is why I'm wearing this shirt what's this for, shirt? for Christmas. So I'll describe this shirt. It says Joe. It's it's a picture of Joe Biden with Sun Tzu's Chinese hat on it that says, "Speak incoherently and carry no stick, Joe Su." Okay, so this is a shirt that looked cool when I saw it on wherever the hell I saw it, and I impulse bought it because I'm like, well, who wouldn't want a shirt like that? But this is a stupid shirt. It's got mixed metaphors. Nobody knows what the hell he's wearing they can't even figure out it's joe biden and so you walk around with a shirt like this and all you're really saying is i'm a dumbass who clicked on some stupid t-shirt thing because i thought it was funny i just just i was just trying to elevate our gift buying selection for so don't do this to people don't don't send them stupid shit like this because you can't wear it anywhere but when you're recording on marine radio and even then it's like the fuck is that? yeah what is he wearing i didn't i couldn't tell it looked like yeah, a no, spaceman a, with no, a, a helicopter hat it's the, yeah, no, it looks weird as hell. It's like nobody gets it. Yeah. This yeah. is like the Sergeant yeah. Major of the Marine Corps I thought it was trying the to solve a staff NCO engagement problem by changing the promotion warrant. That's that was exactly, exactly what, what I was trying to say. Is. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Very well done, sir. 
Okay, thought, now is we were. Go- a, is he wearing a foreigner T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the first time. Okay, um, let's tease. Um, we were not going to spend that. We didn't. It was not envisioned that we would spend that much time on that topic. Um, and I asked everybody to one thing about Vietnam that they. Um, Subsequent to that, one very unique thing that that has hit them. So I want to tease that, and then we'll go to. We're not going to do what are you reading? That's like kind of Thursday thing. So then I'll let you guys go. So uh, Tim, one thing about Vietnam, you can't speak too much because we'll pick this up at a different time. But um, one thing about Vietnam that you've learned that you thought was um, very unique and interesting. The engagement of the forerunner of DARPA, which back then was known as ARPA, and how involved they were in shaping some of the techniques and tactics and procedures that we used in a, in a valiant effort to save their asses because NASA had been born and taking the rockets away from that particular organization, which is what ARPA was founded to do. So ARPA then turns its, its, its uh, attention to Vietnam and spins off a whole, it delivers a whole gigantic passel of bastardized programs that were stupid as hell, but sometimes worked a little bit, such as McNamara's lines, such as the sensors, such as agents, orange, purple, blue, and red, et cetera, et cetera. All that bullshit was done by DARPA, who were frantically trying to justify their multi-million dollar budget, and, uh, and if none of it paid off. And the military was more than happy to allow them to do that, because the one thing that we've done all our uh, all our lot that throughout the history of our militaries, we've mostly fought fought in counterinsurgency type wars, and it's the one thing that we never never want to fight, and we refuse to learn how to fight. So DARPA or ARPA filled a void left by the military, who was too busy worried about Russia or Soviet Union at the time. Excuse me, and that's that's what I found is the most fascinating thing that I've learned about Vietnam in recent recent times all right jeffrey yeah i think use of the helicopter in so many ways uh, you know uh was uh really came to fruition during vietnam not just for uh you know vertical assault or even close-in fire support which is the really the best term for rotary wing cast as we call it now but also i think we would have had over a hundred thousand dead at least in vietnam if it hadn't been for the uh for the the medevac procedures that uh, they established and i think uh you know that uh, that even got more refined in uh, in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. The ability to save people's lives in the air, you know, have them stave off death and then be able to actually have them recover. You know, and uh, you know, I think that's uh, the most uh, dramatic thing about the the good dramatic thing about you know all the other stuff we you know that I, I kind of hit on a little bit. Uh, you know, my little rant before you know we were talking about uh, Pentagon, but uh, I think. The helicopter definitely was one of the good things. Use of it. Well, something unique and interesting that you've discovered about Vietnam? Yeah, first of all, just we got to make it a little appearance from the uh, grammar police here. You set us out to have the most unique. It's either unique or it's not. It's unique or very unique. Fuck so off, that- man. Really? You think <laughs> you think that you think I'm going to stand that level of aggression against me this early in the morning? <laughs> it's not me. It's we're just trying by to a guy who's involved. fleecing fucking retirees of money and is happy. Is pleased with himself. 
Yeah. Fuck that. In the proud tradition of the mucus. In the mucus When I read the the Marine Corps histories of Vietnam, so they did like individual years and then some combined right. years. Those are great, by the way. Was seemingly how ad hoc everything was. This unit goes here. Why are they there? Nobody knows. They've always been there. This unit's there. It seemed very ad hoc, particularly to a force that, that uh, you know, deploying to combat was not a strange thing. Right. When we went in 1965, World War Two was less than 20 years behind us. And so how we got into that. But it, it describes the whole American effort and the whole fiasco and. The whole American effort, particularly in Afghanistan, a fiasco associated with that very ad hoc, um, which is odd when you think the level of effort that we put into it as a Marine Corps and as a nation. So anyways, that's a good that point. That's a. That's across the board ad hocery. I think this COVID thing has been handled on an ad hoc basis too. And very so top. That's an idea, Mac. For, that's an idea, Mac, for for a whole. You want to do that later? And it's well, interesting because of all the effort we put into top-down planning and training planners. You know, we got the best planners in the world now that do things from the top down, and things end up ad hoc and fucked up. It's it's weird, but it's true. Right. Yeah, yeah. The planners came up with these ideas of mixing these units, battalions with regiments, regiments with divisions, divisions with maps that had no cohesive command relationships. I'm, and I'm not talking Vietnam so much as as our experience, whereas yeah. 25 years ago, if you would have asked us, is is command relationship and coherence important to performance? I sense yeah. universally we would have said yes. And then when put to mm-hmm. the test, we didn't do it. We ad hoc shit together. And I don't know, was performance good, bad, or indifferent? I don't know. We're standing there's here that, at the backside of Afghanistan. There's so. that book floating around TBS when we were instructors there, early late 80s, early 90s, Cohesion. It's about the North Vietnamese Army and a couple others. Remember that? Yeah. Will sent it to me. Oh, yes. I did not send it to you. stole it from Shit me. the bed on all of it. Yeah. Well, you sent it to me. I was on shit, man. Remember? Oh, you know why? Because it was a free book published by the National Defense University. Exactly. So I had exactly. an extra copy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. I the, remember uh, Let me make two points uh, in being loyal to Will's um, newfound fidelity to things linguistic. Ad hocery. I don't know you'll find that you'll find that in the I think you just made up words, so I just want to congratulate you on that. I've made up You can words. make up words. Language oh. language is a growing uh, event. Uh, yeah. It 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 like, does, but it's has rules to it. Like grammar. You should have said the most bestest thing about Vietnam that came. <laughs> there you go. And actually words have definitions and a definition of unique is one of a kind. That is unique. We are. But there, the there could be such a thing as. You're describing the atom bomb. The bomb is a bomb. I know, but what I was asking the is. Bomb is a bomb. In, in a spectrum of, mo- of unique events, what is the most unique event you've discovered? Because I'm sure you've discovered unique things in Vietnam. 
Okay, so I am not going to give you. I am not ceding the floor to you. Okay, sir. The um. What you can't have is most unique. You can have amongst a collection of unique things. Oh, one now, that you you've got, now you've got your exacto knife out, and now you're carving out your own fucking win. Hey, I'm not – and, and hold on, hold on. School, okay? I, and, and again, I'm I just want to say that you just contradicted yourself. A while ago, you talked about studying whether individual replacement or unit rotation, right, um, would be beneficial in combat. Yay? I did. And you just talked about command relationships and cohesion. How do you do both? Are they mutually exclusive? I don't know. Wouldn't that be interesting to find out? It would require a study that would be very unique in its uh, design. <laughs> no, it might be unique, <laughs> not very unique. See, and that's, a, and that's a good point because I set myself up. You always take very out of anything you write. If you put very in front of anything, delete it when you're a writer. Because it's stupid. Yeah, that's what Hemingway said. You don't need. That's to exactly right, and he was the most right. <laughs> <laughs> he was the most asbestos, most asbestos writer of the. 20th. That might be the very best advice you've ever given. <laughs> but the rule is, and he halted. The rule is always does it count in Scrabble? Does the word count in Scrabble has always been the baseline? So you can't talk about prepositions and shit. We don't know. Well, you certainly can't use ad hocery. I mean, come on. You're going to get thrown right out of the Scrabble game. Doesn't count in Scrabble. No, that that shit don't count. Right. But I want to to compliment you, Tim. You just halted in mid-stride, right, as you got ready to shit all over yourself and use the word very. Uh, That was was impressive. I'm a podcast professional now, Mac. I've been doing this a while, don't you know? You can see brain lock going on. That'll make the outtakes, that one right there. That was good, though. No, he stopped. We got some outtakes, too. He stopped in mid-stride. That was impressive. It's hard to do. All right. All right, Jeffrey, what's on the agenda? Never write all of a sudden. Always write suddenly. <laughs> That's another Hemingwayism. Never That's say a good all one. of a sudden. Suddenly. Is there is there such a book as the the Hemingwayer the Hemingway Guide for Writers? Is there such a book? No. There's It'd just be a very short him. book if there was. <laughs> he's a he's a pithy guy, man. He uh he he, he was sparing in his words. Wow. All right. And speaking of Hemingway, very many of them. <laughs> speaking of Hemingway, we we still have to deal with the short happy life of Francis Meekhomber. But anyway, yeah, right. and he yeah. didn't even want to put happy in that title. But he, <laughs> he finally, he realized he had to. The short life of, you know, he was always cutting shit down. You know, thank God he didn't just put Macumber. No one would read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but happy is happy makes the title unique. Right, the short yes, happy. Yes, he life. had to do it. Oh, it's a whole story. He, he reluctantly did it. He had to do it. Wow, there you have it. The wit and wisdom of Jeffrey Kenny, um, and the restrained words of uh, Tim Lynch. That was impressive, and the expansive intellect, kind of of Will. That's right. In his <laughs> in his watch cap. Very. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, you know, I do want to kind of uh, come back to this idea on another day of has the landscape changed uh, relative to leadership? Because uh, I believe it has. I mean, we used to do um, command climate surveys two days before the motherfucker got relieved, right? 
we went down and did that to paper the relief. We knew what we were going to find because we had done the diligence. Other than that, you you ran the unit. You were expected to run the unit. Now, when you take over, it's like a customer. Uh, it's like a customer survey. Let me survey the customers to see how happy they are. You know, and again, I. I don't is that a bad idea? No, but it's this, it's almost this idea of uh we're going to govern by consensus and and that's not how you you lead. You can't lead like that. And if you're such a shithead that you can't get between the left and right lateral limits, then there's no set of rules that are going to help you, but you add that to social media. You add that um, to all the different things that can get you on blast at any given day. And there is this climate. And, and I'll, I will leave you with, with this. If you want a little interesting reading, go track the number of people that have taken that, take themselves out of command uh, competition. A number that goes up and up on an annual basis in the Marine Corps. If you can imagine a, a that. A number which was zero, when I believe, when we were... Had yeah, people who just you look at that. People d- who just look at that and say, "Yeah, that's not really something I care to 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 be doing." Um, it's just too fraught with peril for me. Um, I'll pass on that. I'll go. To, I'll go to the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah, right. It's nice there. People love I, it. It's I the just, most uniquest Pentagon there is. It's very, very, very discouraging for Will to hear that, too. So, which is why I said that as we walk out the door. So, Will, have a great day. Um, Timmy, have a good day. And uh, take, that sh- take that stupid shirt off, too. I mean, come on. You no, don't- no. It's just going, this is now a gun cleaning rag. I've, I, it has served this one purpose. Well, as soon as I it's took it out, I'm looking at it, I'm like, what the hell did I spend money on? So, so I'm going to have a great day. Tim's going to have a good day. Jim. What's Jeff going to have a very what day? <laughs> I'm going to have a very long day because I'm tired already from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jeff's, Jeff's days are good because he's borderline because of his traumatic brain injury. Right? He's always discovering new shit and, and meeting new there people, right? It's like it's like Mr. Toad's wild ride. True. We get hey, We will end on that, everybody. It was Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> and we will talk to you again. It was very unique. <laughs> wow. It was. Suddenly, it was unique. <laughs> Out. Now I can hear it. It always works better like that. I've been busy the last hour. Um, I'm trying to get to uh, do post-traumatic winning for the Army. So I was on the phone with them for about an hour talking to a lawyer. That. But uh, I want to thank my my buddies, the Mensa brothers, for coming on this morning. And... uh, I, I would just I would tell you a couple things. One, I know the Marine Corps knows that that there's a problem, and very little of it has to do with you know the people that occupy the ranks of staff NCO in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, we we always get a spectrum, whether it be in the officer corps, the, the enlisted corps, 
NCO staff, NCO core, right? We always have fast movers and then people that kind of get in by the skin of their teeth and struggle and they get weeded out slowly but surely. So, I mean, that's that's always the case. The question is the environment that that, that has been created. And I think that's really interesting. And I don't, I don't think most of us understand that anymore. And so that's what I want to kind of continue to develop that. The environment in which people lead and changes that need to be made in it, right? Um, from high levels, right? So that people can lead. So that the charismatic Lance Corporal does not rule the barracks. So that gray area can be dominated by the people that should dominate it. And that is the mothers of the Marine Corps and that is our staff and SEALs. So anyway, uh, with all that said, it'll take me a minute to turn this around. So Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays to everybody else. This program will repeat itself in short order. So give me about 90 seconds to do that. During this holiday season, if I can help you, if I can help you help somebody else, uh, do, do not hesitate. Let me know. And I'd be more than happy to do that. All right. Um, have a great day. Have a great week. I'm Mike McNamara. I'm out. Okay, so I just faded that out, so I need to do that before.